Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to episode 29 of Everyday Buddhism, making every day better. Something exciting is on the horizon. We're getting very, very close to 100,000 downloads. At today, 99,400, 600 away from that magic 100,000. You know, a little less than one month ago, when I recorded episode 28, at the one-year birthday of this podcast, the download count was just approaching 90,000. But thanks to all of you who download, subscribe, and listen to the podcast, thanks to you for generating 10,000 downloads this month, or averaging about <clears throat> 2,500 per week. I am amazed and thankful for the journey we've been on together. I'm grateful for the technology that makes it all possible. I'm grateful for my own dedication to carving out the time to do this and grateful to the Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, and all my teachers for always being with me through the teachings and good advice I carry in my heart and my head. Today I'm celebrating something else too. I'm celebrating the upcoming publication of my book. We're not quite there, but oh, so close. It is written, but I'm editing now and about to share with some readers, proofers, and reviewers. As part of this, you know, pre-book celebration, today's podcast on Right Speech Part 2 is from a reflection and practice from the right speech chapter of my upcoming book, Everyday Buddhism, Applying the Buddha's Four Noble Truths and Eightfold Path to Everyday Life. You know, in the reflection, I share how I believe right speech needs to be meaningful speech. And meaningful speech depends much more on listening than speaking. If we could gradually train ourselves to really listen to others and listen to the birds, the animals, the insects, and the wind through the trees, I believe the practice of right speech wouldn't be as difficult as it is for most of us. I'll be the first to admit that it's one of the hardest practices. And I believe other people agree with me that it is one of, if not the hardest, of the Eightfold Path to practice. Especially in this age of social media and internet communications, something I've always wondered about. I wondered if one of the reasons people tend to speak so loudly about their opinions and everything they do on social media is because no one listens to them in real life. And, you know, not that social media isn't real life, because in these times, it almost seems it's more real life than real life. 
You know, Zenshin Michael Haterly wrote about a social media communication phenomena of not using meaningful speech and using harsh words in an article from the winter 2009 Tricycle magazine, which he called Dharma Wars. And he was talking about um, the insults generated and the mean speech back and forth between um, Dharma practitioners, but Dharma practitioners who are on opposite sides of different issues about um, Dharma practice, Dharma beliefs, schools, lineages, and on and on and on. In the article, he quoted John Suller, a a psychology professor at Ryder University, who says that internet users readily fall prey to what Suller calls the online disinhibition effect. Suller says the medium itself drives you to act out in ways you normally wouldn't because People, he says, people experience their computers and online environments as an extension of their selves, an extension of their minds. And therefore, they feel perfectly free to project their inner dialogues into exchanges with others. So it becomes much more of a thinking out loud at other people. I have witnessed this myself, especially during election cycles or other hot-button social and political issues currently raging in the news. People who I wouldn't have expected to have reacted in angry and vocal ways, surprising me. And even if they didn't always directly comment, they posted very angry links or gave likes to aggressive, sarcastic, and angry thoughts on both sides of the issue under discussion. You know, it made me question my own posting behavior and encouraged me to renew a vow I had made previously, a vow to question each thing I am tempted to post or give a like to before I do so. As a test, to see if it is something I would say directly to anyone I've allowed to view my posts. Since I've renewed that vow, I've stopped myself many times, even this morning. I was tempted to post something a little, um, I would say, um, outraged. And in rethinking it, I didn't think it was uh, uh, meaningful in, in a way that would help anyone, but it was, it was just a way of my, um, sort of, uh, getting it off my chest. And I don't think that's really the necessary way we need to communicate with people. You know, over the last year though, you know, compared to like three years ago or four years ago, I have noticed a bit more gentleness and civility in conversations on social media You know, it still tends to be a forum where it feels like everyone is talking at once, talking over each other, and and no one's listening. True connection with others comes when we are being present with them, not talking at them. Bearing witness to whatever is happening in their emotional space, in their silence, in their speech, in their speech pattern, 
in their speech pace, in their gestures, in their expressions, if we're seeing them face to face. When we speak, being present and bearing witness to the world around us is more difficult and almost impossible for most, myself included, because speaking requires deep participation in the stuff inside our head, in concepts, in thinking. And then we form our words from that. You know, much of it is uh, expressions, much of our speaking is expressions of concepts that come from our past or concepts that are hardened into preconceived ideas and opinions that are not particularly responsive to what is happening now in front of them. And another thing about speaking, it's dualistic. Listening is a non-dual activity of oneness. The reason we speak is to speak to someone. It is, exp- it is us expressing ourselves to the other. And frankly, it is us expressing how they are the other based on the concepts we are speaking about. This is what I say. This is what I think, which is not what you think. So I must tell you how I think, and maybe it will help you come around to thinking like me. So much speaking is completely unnecessary, even in conversation. I know, I do it. The trick is to maintain an open awareness when listening, deep listening to the speaker, and awareness and guarding of your internal chatter and reactive responses so that you won't say something out of habit. This involves consciously deciding when to listen and when to speak. If we keep those choices in the reactive zone where we speak impulsively or out of habit, conversations can become two people talking at each other. Orrin J. Sofer, author of the book, Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication, suggests that our anxieties in conversation are, quote, usually rooted in deeper needs to be seen or heard, or needs for safety, acceptance, belonging, and so on the less confident we feel in meeting those needs, the more pressure we will experience to speak up or remain silent. We may fear that if we don't say something right now, we'll never be able to do so. Or that if we do say something, disaster or disconnection will surely ensue. Sofer explains that if we work to meet those deeper needs, then our conversational reactivity will decrease and we can relax into a more natural conversational flow. Like all things based on being more mindful and more aware, building the uh, the ability to have more natural, less needs-driven conversations will take practice. But eventually, we will notice being more and more aware of our own urge to speak, building the space to make a conscious decision about 
whether to listen to sp- or whether to speak, or whether to speak now or whether to speak later. There is another element involved in listening that goes beyond giving others room to speak, and that is the way we are listening. Is it authentic listening or is it gratuitous listening? Authentic or engaged listening is listening with the mind wide open. It's not enough to shut our mouths, but we also need to open our minds. Are we caught up in our own problems, stress, and distractions? Are we listening just to agree or to disagree? Are we listening openly without constantly judging? And there is something more at play with listening. I believe, from my personal experience, that the hearing sense door is more neutral in our reactions to the world around us. My personal meditation style is based on a unified mindfulness technique advanced by Shinzen Young. And this unified mindfulness method uses the awareness practice of seeing, hearing, and feeling, either seeing in and out or out, hearing in or out, feeling in or out, to build three primary strengths, concentration, sensory clarity, and equanimity. These are really the foundations of a good mindfulness or meditation practice. So I typically start meditation or a general awareness practice session by sitting quietly with either open or closed eyes and noting what I am hearing without classification or judgment in a Vipassana type approach. It's not, it's, it's just a matter of hearing and noting that I'm hearing it as a correction. I'm not noting what I'm hearing like bird, wind. I'm just noting that I'm hearing. When I am just hearing, I am less inclined to label or conceptualize the experience as pleasant or unpleasant, good or bad, or less inclined to engage in other thoughts like, gee, I need to clean the house, or I need to weed the yard, or other things that I might be triggered by when I'm using, say, the sight door of just seeing. If we can use that same approach when listening to another speak, we will notice their tone of voice, their word choices, their pauses, and energized excitement when they speed up the pace of their conversation. All these things can communicate more about how they feel when they are actually, how they feel than what they're actually saying. When you are truly listening to all these things, you are totally engaged. And when you are engaged, your conversation partner will be aware of that. They will notice that you're listening and not planning your next response. They will notice that your reactivity went quiet and not just your speech. And in that noticing, they will feel heard. I'd like to share another practice Sofer offers in his book, Say What You Mean, A Meaningful Approach to Nonviolent Communication. 
And in this book, he, he seems to really bring together mindfulness and somatic practices with principles of nonviolent communication in a way that I think interweaves the Eightfold Path with the focus on right speech. Although he doesn't describe the book that way, it accomplishes just that. You know, Sofer explains that he is inspired by Titnat Han's right speech guidelines and offers his book of principles, practices in general education, and reflection on communication to help guide us during these challenging times where so many people are interacting on a global scale, where widely varying views, beliefs, cultures, and environments are being communicated virtually and in face-to-face communications. He writes, quote, We live at a time when we are less and less able to listen and really hear one another in society. At a time when those with different views, beliefs, or background are once again so easily cast as the other. At this time when great forces of political, social, economic, and environmental change are sweeping the globe and intensifying our separation from self, others, and life, we need to learn how to speak and listen in a new way. We need to learn how to perceive our world with fresh eyes, beyond inherited historical and economic structures of competition and separation that can so easily determine our relationships. True dialogue is more than the mere exchange of ideas. It is a transformative process based on trust and mutual respect in which we come to see another in a new and more accurate way. Unquote. So a great practice from Sofer's book is the practice he, he refers to as choice points or consciously choosing when to speak and when to listen instead of reacting. It sounds simple, but I've been trying to practice it and it's not simple. Reaction sort of kidnaps our, our responses. They're very, it's very habitual. He describes a practice this way. To practice, choose someone with whom you feel relatively comfortable. This familiarity makes it easier um, to learn the tool. And during a conversation, then notice when to speak. Or notice when you choose to speak, I mean. If you find yourself talking without having made the conscious decision to do so, then try stopping and leaving space for the other person to continue. Notice what it's like to actively choose to say something rather than doing so automatically. And pay particular attention to any urgency you feel to speak or any reluctance you feel to speak or any other sensations of internal pressure. Use that pressure as a signal to make a more conscious choice. So may we each try a little harder to listen to others, to make a conscious choice to speak less and strengthen the web of real communication between each other.
We need it now more than ever. May it be so. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for joining me. And I have another little secret to share with you. I will be recording a new podcast episode featuring a very special guest this week. The guest is Dina Mose, the author of the book, The Buddha Sat Right Here, the story of her family's odyssey through India and Nepal. The book is the winner of the Gold Medal in Travel Essay, 2019 Indie Publishers Award, and first place winter, winner for Travel Next Generation Indie Book Awards and winner of the International Book Award in Religion Eastern. You know, all these awards are very well deserved. I can't remember a book that has delighted me, engaged me, taught me, and made me laugh all in one book. She is a wonderful writer whose writing has been described as, quote, magical, unquote, and I agree. Look for this special episode coming soon. Thanks to everyone who listens to the podcast, comments on my website or the public Facebook group, and of course, for those of you who donate to help keep the content written, produced, and distributed and to help me expand our reach through the book study group and to those donating and contributing to our new Everyday everyday Sangha. Please consider supporting my work with the podcast, the Facebook discussion group, uh, the Everyday Sangha, through a recurring or one-time donation at the Donate tab on my website, www everyday-buddhism.com. Until next time, keep making your everydays better. <laughs>